The day of Pentecost reflects the Jewish celebration of Shavuot, meaning weeks. Fifty days after Passover, the Jewish population would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which was the season of the wheat harvest and a time of giving thanks for the harvest of God's provision. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost also marked the first harvest of souls. After Peter preached his first gospel sermon, Luke records the following in Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And so today marks a good day to give thanks for the Holy Spirit and for the harvest of souls. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Inkwan. And uh, everybody knows that Thanksgiving is my absolute favorite celebration throughout the course of the year. Well, we are in Acts chapter 2. We're bringing it to a close today. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, 14 to 41. If you want to open your Bibles and uh, prepare to follow along. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the Jewish people celebrating Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot means weeks, and it was seven weeks after Passover that the celebration of Pentecost came along. Now, all males were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate, and that is why on the day of Pentecost, we have so many males in or men in Jerusalem uh, from all over the world who are then able to hear and bear witness to these new 120 believers glorifying God in, in various languages and tongues. Now, you've heard me say this before. The Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come in the New Testament. This is what the book of Hebrews tells us. And so what I've done for you this morning is I put together um, a little chart to show you the New Testament, how the New Testament is fulfilled, how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. So let's take a look at these. The first thing in the Old Testament we see is Passover. And everybody remembers, if you've read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that, in, uh, that, that the children of Israel have been enslaved by Pharaoh, but they have been set free at the celebration of the Passover. Well, in, in the New Testament, we see the Passover fulfilled in what we call, what we Christians call Easter. In the Passover was a freedom from slavery from Pharaoh. In the New Testament, we see that Easter is a celebration of the freedom from slavery to death and to sin. Some would say, hallelujah. That's what Easter is. Well, the Bible tells us that the day after Passover, which we call Sunday, is the Feast of First Fruits. And that was the first, it was the first grain that was harvested. It was the barley harvest that was, that was celebrated. Well, what happens on Sunday after, after Jesus is crucified? He is resurrected from the dead, right? And Paul calls Jesus the first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 20. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, you're starting to see the parallels. 
Everything that is in the Old Testament, in case you don't know it, is there for a reason. And what we see in the Old Testament is, is God's plan of salvation fulfilled in Christ. And so, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but every Sunday when you come to church, what you're doing is you are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? This is why it's so important for you to come to church on Sunday, so that you are reminded that you serve a risen Savior, and that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you and I who have put our faith in Christ also have that glorious hope that someday we too shall be raised from the dead. Someone say hallelujah. This is who we are. This is what we are. Well, right after the Feast of first fruits, we have a time of waiting, the 50 days of waiting. And let me just point out to you, it's during those 50 days of waiting that Jesus revealed himself to the apostles at different times. In fact, we read in Luke 24 that Jesus appeared to two of the disciples who were walking along the road, and they were despondent, they were discouraged, and uh, Jesus came along, and they didn't recognize him. And he says, uh, so what's going on? What's, what's happening? And they asked him, like, where have you been? <laughs> Haven't you seen what's been going on around here? Not knowing that they're talking to Jesus. And Jesus then began to explain to them the scriptures to help them understand how his death and resurrection was, in fact, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. So what you need to understand today is that what you and I what you and I believe in is not an accident. It wasn't something that was coincidental. It was according to God's holy plan. You must remember that. Now, 50 days after, after uh, the resurrection, we find the people waiting. In the Old Testament, they are celebrating the waiting of the Torah. Everybody remembers that once Israel was delivered from Egypt, at the time of the Passover, they went and found themselves in the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that God gave them the law or the Pentateuch. What does Pentateuch mean? It just means the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. So Jewish people for, for centuries, I guess now for thousands of years, have celebrated during, the, uh, uh, during this uh, feast of of Pentecost or waiting for the Feast of Pentecost, they are celebrating and waiting for the giving of the law. Well, we get to the New Testament and it's 50 days of waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, can I just quickly stop here and remind everybody that when the, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit would come, the Holy Spirit would do what? He would remind them, the, the apostles, the disciples of everything Jesus, Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit and the word of God are, are intricately connected. You, you, you need to talk about scripture if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and you need to talk about the Holy Spirit when you're talking about the scripture because they work together. So then we finally get to Shavuot, and this is uh, also called Pentecost. Christians just call it Pentecost. We don't call it Shavuot. On, on the day of Shavuot, the Jews uh, celebrate not just the not just the uh, the the incoming of the of the second uh, uh, harvest, which is the harvest of wheat, but they also celebrate the giving of the Torah. And then we look in the New Testament and we see that Pentecost is a celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. 
This is a celebration of commitment, commitment to obeying God. And the way that you obey God is by knowing what God told us to do. And what did God tell us to do? Well, that's what he gave us his law for. Well, we're, we're now in the New Testament, and we're celebrating now the commitment to obeying Christ. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. What's he, what's he telling us to do? He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. Well, not only is it a celebration of the giving of the Torah, but it's a celebration of the wheat harvest. And again, you can read about this in Leviticus chapter 23. It's a celebration of the wheat harvest. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, it's a celebration of a harvest of souls. And this is what we're going to look at this morning, Acts 2.41, that when Peter finished preaching, there were 3,000 people that, that became Christians and were baptized on that day. So you see the Old Testament, and then you see the New Testament parallel, the New Testament fulfillment. Two loaves are offered before God. Uh, it was Spurgeon who said that this is a sign that God accepts the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other hand. Who are the Gentiles, by the way? The Gentiles are everybody who's not Jewish, all right? Very simple. So uh, unless we have some Jewish people here, which I, I don't think we do, you are all Gentiles. I don't know if that's exciting or not, but all right. Woo. You see, you see, and we talked about this last week, we see the, the people speaking in different tongues and in languages from all over the world. And what God is signaling, we said this last week, God is signaling that he's taking back all the nations as, as his own. If you're reading in the Old Testament, you'll discover that oftentimes the author describes the nations around Israel as nations who were disinherited. They were disinherited for God. In other words, God cast them aside and said, I need to make for myself a brand new nation. And of course, he made the nation of Israel. Why did he make the nation of Israel? Because the nation of Israel would be the, the nation through whom the Holy, Holy Messiah would come. His name is Jesus. And then finally, we see at the end of Leviticus 23, verse 22, God says, don't harvest every single grain of wheat. He says, leave some behind. For whom? For the poor. And so what, what the Jew, poor Jewish people would do is that they would go behind the owners of the land who were harvesting, and they would, uh, they would pick up what we call the gleanings, what was left over. Well, folks, we get to the New Testament, we find that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. By Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says there were no needy people in the church because everybody was sharing what they had. Now, do you see the similarities? Do you see the parallels? Do you see the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy? This is what God wanted to do. Now, last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit was poured out, and on, on the heads of each believer was what looked like a tongue of fire, and you'll remember that it, it mimics very closely that pillar of fire that was over the Holy of Holies. God now doesn't dwell in a temple built by the hands of men, but he now dwells in every believer, every Christian. Peter says that you and I make up a holy nation, that we are, in fact, the, the, 
the temple of God. How many understand that? Peter says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that's what it is. The Spirit of God dwells within every believer. So that's a bit of a recap of what's going on and a bit of an explanation for you to help you understand how what's happening on the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of the prophecies and of the various signs that we find in the Old Testament. So this morning what we're going to do in Acts chapter 2 is that we're going to look at the, the first power, the first outpouring of power and the first empowering of the first believers uh, on the day of Pentecost. We're, we're looking at Peter's transformation and at his sermon. So are you ready to go then? Got your belt, you're all belted in, buckled up, ready to go. So we want to look at the transformation of Peter. What you need to know about Peter is that Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut. He always had to have an opinion on, any, on anything and everything. He, he always was the first one to talk. And when Jesus prophesied about himself that he would be going to Jerusalem to be uh, taken captive, to be crucified, Peter said, no, Lord, that, that should never be. You, you, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. I will not let that happen. Don't you love Peter? Peter with his big heart. Peter with his great intentions. Lord, I'm going to take good care of you. Don't you worry about a thing. Jesus, you'll be just fine. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, in fact, you're going to deny me three times. And when you hear the cock crow, when you hear the rooster crow, be reminded of the fact that you were not able to do what you said you're going to do. Does everybody hear this this morning? You and I may have great intentions, but the fact of the matter is you and I can do nothing unless the spirit of the living God is at work in us. Does everybody understand that today? We can't do the work of God. We can't be witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. We can't be establishing and uh, in, in advancing the kingdom of God without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets that this morning. Well, listen to this. So... Here's, here's Luke explaining what happens to Peter. It says, Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists, and someone slapped him, jeering, Prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you this time? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. This is the Peter that said, you can rely on me. I won't let you down. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed and said to those standing around, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. This time he swore. I don't even know the man, he said. Is this the Peter who said... I'm going to stand by you, Jesus. I won't let anything happen to you. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster, the rooster crowed. And then suddenly, it says in verse 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Folks, I want you to know something today because, you know, we're, we're very uh, quick to judge Peter. And we're, we're maybe quick to shake our heads and say, what a loser. Well, the fact is, is that without the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, all of us are losers. We, we can do nothing on our own. In fact, this is why every, every Tuesday we join together to pray together because we need the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Would you say amen to that? I always love it. Every, every Tuesday, Christine Portalance prays for an outpouring, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that God would move and bring revival to our hearts. And she prays for me that God would use the preached word of God. Why? Because we know that we can do nothing in our own strength. You can't live this Christian life in your own strength. Many people try to. Many people try to go through all the rituals, routines, say the Hail Marys, say the Our Fathers, do the beads, go through the religious rituals. But these things are external. And going through external rituals is like saying you need to repeat some kind of magic incantation, magic spells. What we're talking about this morning is something that is real. We're talking about Almighty God indwelling every believer and working in every believer. So that was Peter before the day of Pentecost. But now the Holy Spirit has come, and I want you to see the transformation. The people are saying, we must be drunk. What's the matter with these people? They mock them. But then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. This is the guy that says, I don't know who Jesus is. This is the guy that's terrified of, of the soldiers, terrified of the high priest, terrified of the temple guards. He stands up and he shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Is this the same Peter? What on earth happened to this guy? Hey, listen, when a person is born again, when the person is converted, there is a, a grand transformation that takes place in his or her life. When you were born again, you received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is the, is the deposit of, of God that, that guarantees our eternal life. You receive the Holy Spirit. The problem is, for so many people, they, they're not sure about this. They don't understand this. And what you need to know today is that you have been given the Holy Spirit so that you could do the work of God. So here's Peter, who was once the terrified and cowardly Peter. He is now confronting the whole crowd. Peter is either crazy or lost his mind or he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I know. 
Jesus Christ has called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching people to obey everything he's commanded. When you and I step out in faith, believing that what God has told us to do is what he wants us to do, that is, my friends, when the moment you will experience and know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. And there's many people here today who have experienced that. You've taken that step of faith, maybe a little bit terrified, maybe a little bit afraid of it, but you did it because Jesus tells you to do it. And then the Holy Spirit is there empowering you powerfully. Well, that's what happens to Peter. He doesn't run away from the crowd that's mocking. He doesn't hide. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't protest. Because he knows what's going on. He knows that the Holy Spirit has come upon him. And he is transformed. And that transformation enables him now to preach the gospel. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to actually have two sermons. Oh, Pastor Al, do we have to have two sermons? Well, don't panic. What, what it's going to be is a sermon within a sermon. I'm actually going to read to you the whole sermon that the Apostle Peter gives on the day of Pentecost. And so he begins quoting from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And uh, if you're following along in Acts chapter 2, we're beginning at verse 16. Peter says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That is, speak praises to God. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. In other words, it's, it's not just for the spiritual elite, but it's for everybody who has put their faith in Christ. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, you're not sure? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be? Very good. If you're here this morning and you are not yet saved, you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I would counsel you to do what Joel tells you to do and what Peter tells you to do. That is, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Lord Jesus, save me. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Maybe remind everybody that these signs and wonders are given to endorse Christ. Unfortunately, for some people, they think it's, it's all about me. And they think the signs and the wonders is, is for, for my good but you need to understand that it's for the glory of God. Very important to understand that, or you will not understand why God answers some prayers and God doesn't answer some prayers. Paul, Peter goes on to say in verse 23, but God knew what would happen, and, he, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. 
for death could not keep him in its grip. Wow. Can I remind everybody today that Christ's death and his resurrection was preordained by God. It was part of God's plan. It was not an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. Christ knew that he had come to this earth to die for us. And this fulfilled God's plan. That's what Peter tells us. And then Peter makes another quote from Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. He says, verse 25 of Acts 2, King David said to this about him, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Do you see that, everybody? What happened at, uh, on the day that Christ died and was resurrected is all a fulfillment of the prophecy of David in Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Peter goes on to say, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still among us. If you go to Jerusalem today, one of the stops that the, that the tourist guide will take you on is, uh, is a stop at David's tomb, where you can see the place where he is supposedly uh, lying, waiting for resurrection day. Verse 30, but David was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And so what you do now is you read that David is actually in the, in the lineage of Christ. You read that in Luke 3, verse 31, and Matthew 1, verse 6. Folks, nothing, there's no accidents here. There's no coincidences. This is all a fulfillment of Scripture, and this is what Peter is pointing out. Peter wants us to know that Christ's death and resurrection was all according to God's plan. Verse 31, David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. So there it is. David is prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say this before. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. And you've come to church for nothing today. You could have stayed at home, sleeping, waiting on your wife to bring you waffles and syrup. Or maybe it's the other way around, waiting for your husband to bring you waffles and syrup. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Peter wants everybody to understand that the resurrected Christ was seen by all the apostles, and in fact, as we have read to you before, by hundreds of people who had witnessed this. No, uh, Peter wants everybody to understand that this, this is not just wishful thinking. This is fact, and it's based on the witness of the apostles. And by the way, this is what we understand about the apostles. The apostles were those who were with Christ throughout his years of ministry, and they were the ones that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Verse 33, 
Peter says, now Christ is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave the Holy Spirit and he was poured out upon us, just as you see here today. So Peter is explaining to the crowd what's going on in Jerusalem. Why is everybody speaking in tongues? Well, this is a fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus fulfilled his promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Did you say, Pastor Allen, did, did, did Jesus promise this? Absolutely. You need to go and read the Gospel of John. You'll see it clearly there. And then Peter quotes David again, Psalm 110, verse 1. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter has established that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah that all of Israel has been waiting for for hundreds of years. And then it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. That's what a sermon does when it's backed by the Holy Spirit. It pierces your heart. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is how you're saved. And you may be sitting here today wondering if you are saved, whether or not you're a Christian. And let me just quickly clarify something for you. Just because you grew up in a church doesn't mean you are automatically born again. Doesn't mean that you're automatically saved. Just because your parents were Christians or your grandparents or your great-grandparents were Christians doesn't mean that you are automatically a Christian as well. Just because you come to church on Sunday, every Sunday, doesn't mean that you were born again necessarily. Just because you've been baptized and maybe became a member of the church, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are converted. How do we know whether or not we are born again? Well, Peter puts it like this. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then your sins will be forgiven. So we got to stop here for a moment. This is, I know some of you are thinking, man, this is so, so, so simple. It's it's so simple, I already know this stuff, Pastor, and why are you sharing this with me? Because I want us to take a moment right now to examine our own hearts, to be sure that we are, in fact, born again, that we are, in fact, converted. You must repent of your sins. What does that mean? Well, we've explained this many, many times. We'll explain it again. To repent means, while, while you may be going in this direction, when you get to know Jesus Christ, when Jesus reveals himself to you by the Holy Spirit, you recognize that you are a sinner. And like the people on the day of Pentecost, your, your heart's pierced and you say, what must I do to be saved? Well, Peter says you have to repent, which means you have to change your direction. Whereas before you are going that way, now you're going this way. Pastor Allen, does that mean I'm perfect? No, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. Although it does mean that God sees you as one who's been justified 
in his sight. In other words, you've been made right with God. So the moment that you repent is a moment that you are made right with God. In theological terms, we call this justification. You've been made right with God. Now, I'm going to tell you, as long as you're on this earth, you will not be perfect. But I want to tell everybody today, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. Did you get that? It's not about perfection. It's about the direction. Whereas before you were walking away from God, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember when they sinned? What did they do? They, they, they heard Jesus was coming, and what did they do? They went and hid. They, they wanted to get away from Jesus. They wanted to hide behind a tree. They didn't want to be seen. Why? Because of their sin. Folks, this is what we do. When we feel ashamed because of our sin, we want to hide from God. And you have the enemy whispering in your ear, well, you failed God. There's no point in trying anymore. You just give up now. How many have heard that voice in their ear? Just me? There's two of us. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God came to Adam and Eve and found them. And you may recall that, that we see the very first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden. God kills an animal so that he can clothe Adam and Eve, the very first sacrifice. Adam and Eve didn't repent. I often wonder what would have happened in the Garden of Eden. This is a theological question that you can knock yourself out on over lunch today if you want. What would have happened if Adam and Eve repented of their sin? Well, Peter says, if you want to be saved, you must repent of your sin. You're changing your direction. You're, now you're moving towards God in obedience. And then... Peter says, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then after that, you receive the Holy Spirit. I need to clarify something this morning before I go any further. I'm going to talk about baptism in just a moment. But first, I want to say this. Some people have the, have the wrong notion, the wrong idea that, that you have to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. Has some of you have heard that. My, I, just, I, I just saw my cousin, my cousins this summer, uh, and they were telling me about the death of their mother, my Auntie Lynn. I think she was in her late 80s, maybe early 90s. She's been a Christian her whole life, at least she thought she was, but she was afraid of dying. And when asked why she was afraid of dying, she said, because I didn't speak in tongues and I don't know if I'm going to be a Christian. I felt so angry at that moment that somebody had led her to believe that, that she had to speak in tongues in order to go to heaven. Now, what we have here, folks, is what we would call the initial filling of the Holy Spirit of every believer. Everybody who puts their faith in Christ receives the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says here. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is how you're saved. And Peter says in verse 39, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And what's he saying here? He's saying, well, this promise of salvation is for future generations, and it's also for Gentiles. Now, this was mind-boggling for the Jewish people. In fact, he said these things, but I don't think anybody there believed him. 
because they still believed that because they were God's chosen, because they were, they were God's people, that the Gentiles were, were still excluded from the promises of God. It took a lot to get the first Christians, the, the early Christians, to understand that salvation is for all who believe. Thanks be to God. Today I stand before you a Gentile who is converted. Hallelujah. And it says in verse 40, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Hey, does that sound like a message that could be preached today in 2022? Save yourself from this crooked generation. Can I just remind everybody of something today? There's nothing new under the sun. Everybody gets that? They were, there were sinners in Jesus' day. There's sinners today. The world hated Christianity. The world hated Christ. The word, world hates the gospel, and they still hate it to this day. And Peter says, save yourself from this crooked generation. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, you belong to a new family. You belong to a new country. You belong to a new kingdom. These are the different metaphors used to explain the fact that you and I now belong to a holy nation. We belong to God. And so, we read in verse 41, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Folks, what we witnessed here is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit through the first believers. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God can still do this today? Are you sure? Can God use you? I'm not sure about that one. The same Holy Spirit who was at work on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit who's work today. Now, I told you I was going to say something about baptism. Baptism is important. And if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd like you to speak to Pastor Chris so that we can get you baptized. Maybe you feel that you have just been, been, been converted recently. Maybe you feel that the lights have gone on in your heart. You've begun to understand. You've repented of your sin, and you're now following after Jesus, and you are excited about it. Well, folks, the next step is you need to be baptized. So important is baptism that Luke was very careful to record baptism as a part of almost every conversion experience in the book of Acts. We're going to see that. You need to be baptized. Now, some will ask, if baptism was by immersion only, how on earth were 3,000 people baptized on Pentecost? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. This is a tank. You see the tank here? And these are steps going down into the tank. This is called a mikveh. And here's one of the reasons why it was so exciting to go to, to Israel. Because when, there's a question I've always had and never had a really good satisfactory answer for it. But when we got to Israel, we found that there were these uh, mikvots. Mikvot is plural of mikvah. 
there are these these mikvats around around the temple, and it was part of the Jewish ritual immersion. It was a cleansing pool, and so archaeologists have discovered well over a hundred of them in Jerusalem, with nearly forty of them within a stone's throw of the Temple Mount where Peter preached. Christianity Today says there were as many as five hundred of these. Uh, on the path from Shalom to the temple. So this is how 3,000 people could be immersed in water, fully immersed or baptized on the day of Pentecost. They would have recognized that they had been transformed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came to dwell in them, and they were baptized in water for the forgiveness of their sins. The book of Acts is about the multitude of conversions and the spread of the church all over the Western world and of Africa. And that's what we're looking at through the course of this whole, whole year. We're looking at how the church is spread. Today, if you Google how many Christians are there in the world, you're going to find that in 2022, there's a reported 2.2 billion Christians around the world. 2.2 billion people baptized and converted. My prayer is that as we go through the book of Acts, that each and every one of us would feel the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, enabling us to share the good news of Jesus with a broken and hurting world. Would you say amen to that? You've got family members, you've got neighbors, your people that you work with, maybe your best friends, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, mom and dad. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd like you to join me in praying right now. Father, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we're reminded of the great harvest of souls that came in on that day of Pentecost, 3,000. And our minds can't even comprehend 2.2 billion people who are now following you today. Father, we're praying the cross church would be used by you as an instrument and that through us, through our efforts, through our commitment to the Great Commission, that we would be used to win many more for Christ. We pray, Lord, that through the course of this year, our hearts would be set on fire once again. God, that you would save us from our apathy. Save us, Lord, from our sloth, our laziness, and begin to stir in our hearts that we would become concerned for the salvation of our loved ones, of our friends, for the salvation of our broken, broken world. Oh, God, move by your Spirit. And we will give you thanks today on this Thanksgiving Day for your salvation and for the salvation of our friends and family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're celebrating communion, and I'm going to ask you just to take a moment right now just to prepare your hearts to receive. And a reminder to you, communion is for sinners. It's not for perfect people. It's for people who are in the right direction. Amen.
we are at the Lord's table. And again, communion is a time of celebrating not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness in us. Amen. Again, it's for sinners, not for perfect people. And so this morning, I would invite you just to, to join me in praying that God would do a special work in our hearts this morning, understanding that partaking in communion is a means of God's grace to us, a means of his strengthening of us. Father, we want to say thank you for Jesus Christ, our, our Lamb of God, our sacrifice. He's the one who took away the sin of the world, and that's my sin. That's our sin. Father, we want to say thank you that as we take communion, we're reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're asking, Father, fill us afresh. Fill us anew with your joy and with the, with the wonder of what you've done for us in giving us eternal life. God, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your goodness to us. And so we thank you, Lord, as we take this communion, we're reminded that our sins are forgiven and we've been made ready for heaven. And we praise you in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread after he'd given thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take the wafer together, shall we? In the same manner, after he broke the bread, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Let's stand together and take it together, shall we? Father, we thank you again. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that we belong to a mighty family of God. 2.2 2 billion, 2 .2 billion strong today. We belong to a family that spans thousands of years. Thousands of years of people who love you, who serve you, who obey you, who follow you. God, we thank you today. We're looking forward to that great celebration in eternity when we spend the rest of of eternity with you, celebrating the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. Father, we thank you today that you love us. Thank you today, Lord, you've given us your Son. Thank you today, Lord, that it was your, your will, your desire to liberate us from the slavery to sin and death. And you've given us the sign of of our eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection proves that we belong to you forever. And so, God, we pray that you would go with us from this place and we go with joy in our hearts, knowing that we belong to you. 
Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we pray that in your name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go tell someone about Jesus.